The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And also, uh, I'd like for all the children to stand up. Stand up, children. If you need to get in your chairs, I want you to be able to see me. We've all been hearing from Tide Eye Deb. Well, this morning, you're going to hear from Radical Richard. Uh, so, children, stand up. You've got to stay where you are. Uh, if you want to stand in your seats, that's fine. But um, how many people, how many of you children in here have a favorite superhero? Raise your hand. All right, I want you to get that favorite superhero in your mind. And I'm going to count to three, and on three, everybody's going to yell their favorite superhero. Here we go. One, two, three. All right. Can anybody guess, except for my grandchildren, what my favorite superhero is? Superman. Come on now. You know why? Because I'm so old, that's the only one we had when I was a little kid when I was your age. Can I get an amen? I had to look that up, and it really, I'm like, is that really what? It's the, it was the only superhero we had right here, Superman. And he had the same, the guy that played Superman had the same last name as I do. So uh, I loved him. And the reason I loved him is the, probably the same reason you love your superhero is because when somebody's in trouble, that superhero swoops in and saves the day. They are stronger. They are faster. And, and, um, and, and they overcome anything sad and anything bad. And that's what Superman did. And my imagination went crazy, uh, even though I had to watch it in black and white. You know, we only had about three channels. But, uh, man, I'm telling my age now. Uh, but, hey, I love Superman because he would always save the day. And I think the reason that we love superheroes is because of that, because we want someone good, we want someone strong, we want someone invincible. But even Superman wasn't invincible, because when kryptonite would come around him, he would start feeling weak, he'd get a headache, and oh man, you could just tell kryptonite was in the room. And if he touched it, out he went. But I believe that this really points to Jesus. Can you believe that? Your superhero points to Jesus because what we really want is, is, is God himself. We want a God who is as all-powerful as our God is. We want a God that even when he dies, he comes back to life. And that's who Jesus is. And the hope that you think you might have in your superhero, you really do have in Jesus. Because he lived, he died, he rose again. And you know what? You're going to rise again too. You might die. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. Because Jesus has an incredible future for you. A new heaven, a new earth. You can't even desire more than what he's going to give you. There's no way to desire more than what he's going to give you. So when you think about your superhero, and as you listen to this sermon, I want you to, uh, to think about this, that no matter what's going on around us, no matter how bad things get, no matter how many times you, you have to stay at home and do work at home and not go to school, or maybe someone in your family gets COVID, or maybe you get COVID, you need to know that this is not it, because one day, someday, Jesus is coming back, and it's not a movie, it's real, and he's going to make all things great and all things good, and he is literally going to make all the sad things untrue. 
And you're going to hear about that right now. So before we go to James, and we are kicking off James this morning, uh, I'm going to throw some announcements at you. Um, so grab your bulletins. And, um, and I recognize something this morning that is not in the bulletin, and I didn't even know it was happening. And I love it when I find things that happen, and I didn't even know it was going to happen. Or if I did, I forgot about it. Um, I saw a pink sign in the room that said, Nursing Mothers. And got those big, these big comfortable chairs in there. I'm like, that's a first. We're about 12 years old. We've never had a nursing mother room that I can remember. So, uh, so moms, be thankful, be grateful. Uh, it's the room on your left as you go down the ma- this main hallway. Again, a pink sign, clearly marked. Feel free to use it. Also, for those that are new to downtown church, we are starting a membership class that we call Discover. And our, our tagline is, you don't have to join if you, take, if you go through Discover, but you have to go through Discover to join. Um, so we're not going to come after you and make you feel ashamed or whatever if, if you decide not to join. But it's a way for you to, to get in community and to learn about downtown church. And we're going to kick it off uh, right after church. We're actually going to meet at our church office for lunch Uh, starting September 12th, and we're going to continue meeting for five or six weeks at the church office um, and really get to know each other. It's not just going to be some long, drawn-out teaching. It's going to be an hour in which we eat, we get to know each other, we get to hear each other's stories, you get to hear my story, the stories of the staff, and and you, you learn about what we believe, who we are, how we operate, what our vision is. Uh, so December, uh, September the 12th, uh, we started at, uh, right after church on September the 12th. You can sign up uh, by shooting Sir Gregory an email. Uh, that's Sir Gregory at downtownchurch.com, um, and we'll have um, more opportunities coming up. But put that on your calendar, September 12th. Also, tonight, or actually this afternoon at 5 o'clock, we have a congregational meeting. It's our yearly annual congregation congregational meeting, and every staff person, every uh, lead ministry person is going to give a report tonight. We're going to hear from the building team. We're going to hear from our new treasurer, uh, Jennifer Goolsby. Um, so come and, and uh, be a part of our congregational meeting right in here at 5 o'clock. Because of that, don't stack your chairs uh, after service. Just leave them right where they are. Uh, come back, and I know we love to stack chairs, so we'll get to do that after the congregational meeting uh, tonight. Um, also, we need a lot of volunteers still. Uh, you're going to hear about that tonight. Um, oh, let me just throw one thing in. We haven't, I don't think we've publicized this, but we are going to excuse me, do a, a Zoom call for the congregational meeting if you absolutely can't come, as well as we're, we don't have nursery tonight. I, I just, it, I'll take full blame for that. Didn't even think about it. Um, you can throw stuff at me. I'm sorry. Um, so, but we do, we'll Zoom it tonight, and, um, and I'll put the uh, address on the realm um, by at least mid-afternoon today. Uh, also, say the date, September 26th. Everybody say September 26th. Oh, man, that doesn't sound very exciting at all. September 26th. Much better. Picnic at Greenbelt Park. Uh, we're going to get together outside. We're going to have some competition. We're going to 
uh, just uh, hang out by the river and have a great afternoon. Uh, we're working on how to do that as COVID-friendly as possible, and uh, you'll, you'll hear more about that. But it'll kick off around 4 o'clock on September 26th. Whew, that was a lot. Um, let's go to the book of James. And um, I'm just going to read the, the first verse. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Lord God, um, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege and the freedom to be able to worship you. God, we pray for those around the world this morning that don't have this privilege, uh, that are literally hunkering down in fear of Taliban and other enemies. God, be with our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Be with the church in Afghanistan. May it explode, O oh God. May the good news go out in power and might. May you use the, the blood of martyrs to produce a revival throughout that country, O oh God, that the Taliban can't, um, can't kill and can't end. Lord Jesus, take rule of that country and so many others, God, including our own. God, we pray that you pour out your spirit that we might experience a revival. Begin with us, O oh God, if you would be so kind. Open our hearts, open our minds, O oh God. May this not just be a lecture. May it not just be new information, Father, or old information made new. But I pray, O oh God, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would transform the way we think, the way we look at our present moment, and the way we look at our own lives, and the way we look at you, God. Would you convert? Would you revive? Would you renew? Would you transform Lord Jesus, you said where two or three are gathered together in your presence, there you are in their midst. You are with us. You are here. Not in some metaphorical sense. In reality, by your Spirit, you are present among us. So don't leave us as we are. You know my sin. You know my weakness. You know that I need you to speak through me. I need you to empower your word, not my words that we might have hope. Do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The past year and a half has been traumatic. It's been um, really worldwide trauma. We've experienced a worldwide pandemic, are experiencing, let's put it in present tense, a worldwide pandemic that has killed four and a half million people. We um, um, have uh, experienced a civil rights moment or movement in which we literally uh, saw the knee of a policeman choking out the life of George Floyd right before our eyes. We have witnessed uh, a tumultuous presidential election, an attempted takeover of the Capitol, uh, financial crisis, the resurgence of COVID, right when we thought we're getting back to normal, the resurgence in the form of a Delta variant that um, has our hospitals, our ERs overrun throughout at least the South. We've experienced the redashing of our hopes for normalcy, the relational friction, even among us, of 
um, um, the vaccine and talk of the vaccine or masking. We have just this past week um, been traumatized by the images coming out of Afghanistan and Haiti. There is a lot going on, and dear friends, I know that you need a word from God as much as I need a word from God. It is foolish to think that we are somehow skating through these times and not being impacted in a significant way, and we need a word from God. But why the book of James? He tells us in these first verses, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. What we're talking about and what James is talking about is the, those people that were scattered, were driven out of Jerusalem. The Jewish Christians were driven out of Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen and or those that had already been driven out or who would later be driven out because of political turmoil and uh, the, the, they were enemies of the state. And so they were away from their home, they were apart from their home, they were driven from their jobs, they were driven from uh, all things familiar, and so they were suffering. And James is writing to them. He's giving them a word for their time, and yet a word, I believe, for our time. This is unusual. Um, It's unusual literary style because it is wisdom literature in the New Testament. And wisdom literature is not meant to to be a letter that flows and connects, but it's meant to give nuggets of wisdom and information, rebuke and correction in the midst of that is relevant to uh, the context of trials and suffering um, in our lives. And so what James is going to do, he's not... Um, exalting the gospel. He's not defending the gospel. He's not laying out the gospel. He's saying, this is how you live the gospel in the midst of real life. It is a dirty faith. This is a faith that comes down. This is the faith that is right with you in your living room, right with you in your workplace, right with you in your car, right with you when you're reading or watching the news. It is with you in the midst of your, your trials and your tribulations, your suffering and your apparent hopelessness. This is, this is how the gospel fleshes out You see, James was the brother of Jesus. He wasn't neglecting the gospel. He wasn't preaching some works righteousness. He was uh, Jesus' younger brother, and he loved him and saw him as his Lord. This is how he starts the book, Um, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls him the Lord of glory later on. And so James is teaching us how to um, approach life in the midst of suffering, and you need it and I need it. So let's just do an overview. That's all I'm doing this morning. I want us to see four quick things. The first is this. True faith, faith that is really being fleshed out in the midst of trials and suffering, true faith that we're calling dirty faith, doesn't just survive, but it thrives in the face of trials. Listen to chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy. This is how James begins. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus says when the winds and the waves beats against the house of the believer, he gets stronger, not weaker. Listen to Matthew 7, and we're going to see this all throughout the book, Matthew, that basically the word, James' teaching echoes the words of his brother. 
you're going to hear the little bit, something just sounds and tastes like the Beatitudes. Something sounds and tastes like different portions of Scripture, and this is one of them. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. When you think about James, you think about faith and works. All right, we're going to get to that in a minute, but here it is. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, the COVID came, the, 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 the schools got canceled, and, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. So how's your house right now? I mean, that's the point of James. It's, it's easy when, we're, when everything's working out and life, you know, God is good when everything's working out, but is He really good in times when life is not working out and it's so unpredictable and we can never get real traction? That's what James is getting after. And to answer that question, it's hard because I'm not asking you, how do you feel? Are you in a great mood today? I'm not asking you that. You see, there's a difference. I'm asking you, what is driving you? Of course we're going to feel hopeless at times. Of course we're going to feel the pain of the things around us. But we can't be like the world. James calls us away from that in chapter 4, verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Is Facebook and social media, are the friends around you at work and so forth, pulling you into their darkness and their hopelessness? James says, stop it. That's just enmity with God. You have hope. Why? Because James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. He reminds them, you're born again. You have a different operating system. An operating system that's not like the world, an operating system that, that, that is driven off the reality of God's truth and who God is and His Word, not the news. You were driven. You have a, a different operating system. It's God is truth, not just a teaching point. It is a dirty faith. It is deep in your life. Then you say, then why are the trials still hard? I'll tell you, because, we, because you weren't built for this. Of course you're going to be devastated. Of course, you're going to be concerned for your children and your grandparents and your spouse and so forth in the midst of a deadly pandemic and a deadly disease. Of course, you're going to be concerned about, well, what happens if uh, we can't even go to the emergency room? Um, I had to literally make that decision the other night for my mother who could have taken uh, a bunch of pills. I was not about to send her to the doctor, to the emergency room, unless she began. These are hard times. It's not easy, but others oh, hope. You see, it's good to have concern like that. It's good to be concerned about your job. I mean, it's good to be concerned about your job if it's wearing you out. I don't know how much longer I can do this under these circumstances. This is not what I signed up for. Many are quitting. I'm not judging that. I mean, it, it, it can become overwhelming. And it can feel like we don't have hope, but what is really driving you? I told you before about our house fire. April 7, 2009, I came up to my house, and it was surrounded by 
uh, fire engines and ambulances and police cars and water was pouring out the front door of my house and I just had this surreal, this, this weird, just surreal moment where literally I felt freer than I'd ever felt in my life because the realization that I just lost all the material stuff but the reality that I still have hope. <laughs> it, that doesn't define me. He defines me. But dear friends, I'm telling you right now, it would have been an altogether different story if it had happened in the middle of the night and that fire would have taken Amy Catherine or Rachel. I would not have gotten over that. I'm telling you. I, I, it would have left a hole that I can't even imagine. I don't even want to imagine when I was writing it. I didn't even want to use it. And yet, I know, even in that, that's why Jesus came. That is the dirty faith that I have. He is there in the ashes of the fire. He is there in the coffin reminding me, this is not the end. Because there is not only life coming, there is a world coming that you won't even remember this stuff. You'll be, together, you'll be reunited with Rachel and Amy Catherine in, in a world and a state that will never end. And, and, and a thousand years will seem like a day, just like that incredible trip that you long for, and it seems to go by like that because it's so enjoyable. That will be glory, but it'll never end. You'll have a lot of those. <laughs> oh, 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 a thousand years just went by. Oh, bring me that world, Lord Jesus. That is reality, not what the news is saying, not what your heart might be telling you. Jesus did not lay a foundation of fear, but real substantial hope. And this is what James means when he says, count it all joy. He, this is not some, oh, just get it put on a happy face. No, this is get deep in your theology, and you let it drive you. You let it be the engine, not your heart, not your mind, you let the reality of God's hope drive you. And then secondly, true faith, dirty faith, drives good works during trying times. Um, this is the famous section, chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now remember the context. These are people suffering. These are people that have lost their homes and jobs. And these are the people that are to be serving the community around them? James says, yes, because that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, trials have the tendency to drive our focus in. So many of our neighbors after our fire did wonderful things, and, but, but as they were bringing dinner or a gift card or, or, or you know, opening their home to us, they would all ask this question, so how did that fire start? <laughs> and we would tell them, oh, it was an electrical fire behind the microwave, and it, you know, shorted out, and, you know, breaker didn't break, and boom. And all of a sudden, I started seeing, elect, uh, you know, trucks and vans in the neighborhood with elect, electrical uh, company logos on them. <laughs> I, I literally just could see this wave of fear running through our neighborhood. And I get it. But James says, look, it's different for you. 
It's different for you. Yes, I mean, is fear going to be um, a, a temptation? Absolutely. But, but Jesus lived, died, and rose to give us freedom of knowing that our true and real trust is eternal, and he's with us in this moment no matter what. And the things around us don't define us. And so, yes, right now, there are more needs than we can possibly take on. Is your focus, are you experiencing the freedom of Jesus where you can hear of somebody that needs a meal? If you can hear of somebody that might need a little extra uh, money because they've lost their job or whatever. You, are your eyes open to the people around you? Or are you so consumed about the suffering that you're encountering? I was blown away this week. I met with um, um, a young man, PJ. I don't think he's here this morning, are you? All right, he's probably watching because they're fostering um, a child. But he is the director of um, World Relief. And he told me that they're going to have over 300, I think families, it could be 300 people over the next year. They're going to be overrun with refugees. And within, I think this week, they're getting two Afghani families coming in, and they need people to house them. Oh, would that be amazing if believers stepped up? And, and said, I am free in Christ. I've got a lot going on, but I will embrace this. You see, that's what the church does in times like this. Paul refers to this in 2 Corinthians 8. He's trying to get the believers in Corinth to, um, to act on their faith, to, be, um, to live a life in line with the gospel, to, to let their faith and their works be um, side by side and, 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 and proving um, the validity of one's faith. And he points to the Macedonian believers, and he said, they gave out of their extreme trials and poverty. But then he says this, I'm not making a demand on you. I'm not telling you you have to do this. But I am testing the sincerity of your love in comparison to the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. God's actual grace, when we existentially, when we really feel and know it, produces something. It never just sits there. It's never just for us to hoard in our hearts and it, and it not move us to great sacrifice and, 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 and great good for those around us. Paul says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you tell if you're doing something for God or doing something for yourself? The things for, you're doing for yourself will wear you out, you'll be burnt out. The things you're doing for God in overflow of, your, of the, the love of God and the reality of the hope that you have in Jesus uh, never burns out, but it burns on. Where are you right now? Don't go to guilt. Go to Jesus. <laughs> go to grace. Don't beat yourself up. You're human. You're a sinner like me. Go to Jesus. Drink in His grace. Sit in His presence. That's why we're doing this, this sermon series, why we're doing this Sunday school class. Sit in His presence. Drink in His grace. Make it real. Beg Him to make it real in your soul that you might have power to go love somebody. Does that make sense? That's what He calls us to. And then thirdly, true faith, dirty faith fights for the authenticity of the inner life, fights for our hearts. The way we get to this is through uh, chapter 3, 6, 9, and 10. He talks about the tongue. 
It's interesting, and I, I can't wait to get to that section, but this is what he said. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Now, why am I talking about the inner life? He's talking about the use of the tongue. Watch what you say. Close your mouth. No. He's talking about the heart because, again, it echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, what's coming out of our mouth is coming from our hearts. It's just like, a, um, it, it, it's like just painting a picture of what actually lives in our hearts. Jesus pointed to this in Matthew 15, 11. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Yeah, that's what the legalist does. What can I drink? What can I eat? What can I do? No. It's not what goes in that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Are you being defiled right now? James focuses on wisdom next, but it's not a sit under a tree contemplating your navel kind of wisdom. It's inward transformation. Listen, uh, chapter 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, see, it goes to the life. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, trials flush that out of our hearts like a rabbit out of a bush. By his good conduct, let me show his work. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What James is saying is if you're contentious, selfishly ambitious, boastful, jealous, which are all temptations in the midst of trials, you're showing not the validity of their, your faith, but truly your unbelief. You're not allowing God's truth to dictate your reality, but you're looking to the world to do so. What's been coming out of you as you interact in this environment. As I mentioned earlier, one big thing is that I think it, it is, it's still, I mean, there's so much going on that it's so hard for me to get my head around it all, but, but the whole vaccine issue, it is causing, it's like a bomb in our midst, in the church, <laughs> And, and we're judging each other. Are you vaxxed? Oh, you're not vaxxed? Are, are you telling me I have to be vaxxed? I mean, you telling me I have to be masked? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And it should not be so. And we're treating each other it, it, from the position of the law. It's like we're saying the law is better than the gospel. And James addresses that in chapter 2. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Dear friends, in these times, it's so easy to see the speck in my brother's eye and crawl over the log in my own to do so. We have to let the gospel come in and say, I am a bigger sinner than my neighbor. I need as much grace, if not more, than my neighbor. We can't judge. A dirty faith goes to the gospel and says, the gospel must humble me to make me a peacemaker, not a, a, a person of divide in the church and in the world. James is addressing the hearts of men and women. And you say, it's too much. I just can't. Go to God. James takes us there. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Is it too much for you? Of course it is. It's too much for all of us. That's why we've got to sit in the presence of God. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then thirdly, I mean, excuse me, fourthly and finally, true faith, dirty faith, is rooted in the certainty of future glory. Real quick, verse 1, excuse me, verse 12, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, when a crown is placed on a king, only death can take it away. A crown of life is going to be placed on our heads in glory, and nothing can take it away because there is no death. <laughs> we will have life for eternity, and we will not get bored. It will not grow old. God will fascinate us. His, his, his new heaven and new earth will fascinate us every moment of every second, eternity upon eternity upon eternity. The goodness of Jesus at the table with us, feasting the new wine and the new bread oh, and the new bodies. Go to God. Don't go to the world. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Chapter 1 and verse 17. Go to God for your gifts. Don't look to anybody else. Go to God and receive gladly. And oh, what awaits us. I used that quote earlier. Some of you, you, you Lord of Rings fans probably picked up on it. But at the end of uh, The Lord of the Rings, when um, the ring is destroyed and Sam um, is asleep but wakes up and he sees Gandalf and he's shocked. He sees Gandalf. And th this is the question that comes out of his mouth. It, are all the sad things going to come untrue? Are all the sad things going to come untrue? Dear friends, not only will there be no more crying or death or pain or any negative thing in heaven, but all the sad things that we're experiencing right now will be as if they never happened. My mind wants to explode with that reality. I don't even know what that means. 
But it's, that means it's better than what I can even dream. And it's better than what you can dream because Jesus is better than what we can dream. Dear friends, he's the one we need and he's the one we have in this moment. May we cling to him in this season of trial and suffering. Lord Jesus, we honor and bless you this morning. We thank you that you are among us. Oh God, continue to feed us even at this table. Draw the hearts of men and women, boys and girls to yourself right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this table this morning, may we prepare our hearts and minds. May we bring to God our offering to Him. Uh, We can do so by dropping it in the basket if you have a physical check or by um, texting the number above or going to our website, downtownchurch.com. Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table.